Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Question, what makes you angry? Like furious, like fires you up. What is it? What is it that just fires you up? All right, so uh, online I found some good ones this week. Pretty funny ones. One guy said his girlfriend broke up with him. That might get you angry already. Do you even know this guy? Come on, he's a good guy. Broke up with him because he forgot to put a smiley face at the end of his goodnight text. I'm thinking this dude already messed up before that text. I'm thinking like, dude, the text wasn't going to help you at all. It might have been nice for a few days. Broke up with him. Okay, here's another one. Total stranger. This is funny. Total stranger uh, sneezed at a bus stop, okay? So the guy said, I said, bless you. And the stranger goes, it wasn't a sneeze, it was a cough. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I thought it was a sneeze. He said, it wasn't. It was a cough, and he stormed off, didn't even get on the bus, because <laughs> he had nowhere to be. Like, he just, fine. If you get angry about the weirdest things, this one, if you're a parent, you'll love this one. Um, the lady says, her grandson got mad at her for putting apple chunks in, her, in his oatmeal after he asked her to put apple chunks in his oatmeal. Kid's crazy, man. It's like, what do you want? I don't know. I can't read your mind. I don't want to read your mind. I don't know what's in there. Uh, last one, a guy said um, his wife makes, wakes up mad at him. All the time. His wife is always waking up mad at him for stuff he did in her dream the night before. <laughs> can't win, man. <laughs> Just can't win. Uh, so there's some funny things. There are some legitimate things that make us angry. I know before I really started uh, dedicating my life to Jesus... Anger was really one of my strong vices. Like it was like I had a temper and I just would blow up and stuff. And it took me years. Uh, today, like I hope, I hope that your impression of me is that I'm pretty chill because that's my goal. Like my motto in life used to be chill out. Like I needed that in my life. Uh, now my motto in life is people crazy. That's the other motto. But um, my motto in life was chill out. But things, there are legitimate things that make us angry, aren't there? Like it really frustrates me when people don't keep their commitments, especially when it's inconvenient for me, right? It's like, ah, and that might make you angry. Uh, one thing that really fires me up more than anything is when people don't respect the innocence of children. Oh, man, I, I, I want to punch somebody over that. And like when kids are being exposed to adult level things and their brains can't even comprehend it and it just like melts that little part of their brain that's still developing, like let our kids be kids, it's okay. The, and, and that really fires me up. Another thing um, that makes me really mad is racism, like, I look at our world today, and I know a lot of people from different backgrounds, different uh, skin color, ethnicities, language groups, nationalities. I've been all over the world, uh, three continents, seen people, work with people. And what I found is we're all the same. <laughs> why, why we got to hate each other? But that makes me so angry when I see that still happening today. And so there's some legitimate things to be angry about. What makes you angry? You know, what makes you angry? You don't have to shout it out. In fact, please don't. Um, but <laughs> what makes you angry? You're going to need to know that by the end of our talk today. Because we need to work on that. There are some things that make you angry. I think a lot of people get angry over politics. Maybe last week the election didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And so you've taken to Facebook to blow up. Like, chill out. Chill out. People crazy. <laughs> um, that might make you angry. Maybe that's something that just lodges itself in your heart and it hurts you. Uh, one thing, it's, it's crazy, this thing that makes a lot of people angry. People have road rage. 
And I, like, I have been, like, cussed out by people, complete strangers, and they say, you're a beep, 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 beep. I'm like, dude, you don't even know me. I'm, t- I'm a nice guy. Like, what? Why you said I made a mistake, okay? I didn't turn my signal on early enough. But, like, his blood is at 1,000 degrees, and he's angry about it. Maybe for you it's just, like, pet peeves, people clicking their pens. Like, at my house, it's when people leave the lid off the toothpaste. It's like, all right, who did it, you know? It's on the floor now. <laughs> we should get the kind where the lid's attached. And it gets, you know, we get angry about things and it fires us up. Well, today um, we are continuing our teaching series called Enemies of the Heart. And uh, it's this whole idea. We're dealing with these emotions that control us. And they, the concept is booked on, based on a book by a Christian author and, and pastor, Andy Stanley, uh, down near Atlanta. And he's written a lot of books, but this one, Enemies of the Heart, by the same title, approaches this concept that there are these emotions that lodge themselves in our hearts and they make it difficult if not impossible for us to love people and love the world. Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yet these enemies of our heart come in and they they lodge ourselves in there. And so how do we get in there and do some heart surgery? How do we clean it out? So we're looking at four enemies of the heart. Last week we looked at guilt. Uh, We're looking today at anger. We're also going to look at greed and jealousy. Um, But each of these emotions comes with it, uh, this thing that he calls a debt-to-debtor relationship. And I love this. The more I've explored this and tried to unpack it, the more I find that it's like genius. It's really true. Guilt creates this debt-to-debtor relationship. Guilt says, I owe you. I did, I did something wrong, so now I owe you. And so, you know, I owe you an apology, or I owe you maybe presence now, or I owe you some other favor. And so with this debt-to-debtor relationship, we want to also come up with some sort of prescription to kind of purge that enemy of our heart out. And so uh, if, debt, if guilt says, I owe you, here's the thing that we need to prescribe and work on, and we talked about it last week, is confession. Confession frees the heart from the oppressive power of guilt because we can get it off of our chest. And remember, we're not confessing just to feel better. It's not when you, you go to your, uh, your kid and you're like, tell your sister you're sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like that, I mean, that didn't count, but it's for, for change. I want to change. I'm, I did this thing. So we talked about confessing to God, confessing to people in our lives. And for the purpose of changing our behavior, our attitude, our mindset towards God and loving people. So that's the debt-to-debtor relationship and the prescription. This week, we're looking at anger, and anger has a different debt-to-debtor relationship. If guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me. You follow? And it adds up. Think about it. Anger happens when I don't get what I want. Like the world should be a certain way, my way, by the way, right? All of us feel that way. And when it doesn't go that way, ah, you owe me. You owe me. You should have stayed in your lane and used your signal. You owe me. Anger. I mean, as a parent, you know, you ruined some formative years of my life. You weren't there for me. You owe me. I'm angry. You should have gotten, I should have gotten the promotion. But Judy got it. Judy. (laughs) Judy's a slob. She stole a stapler last year. Like I saw her do it. She got a promotion. She owes me. And so I'm angry about it. And we carry this and like it becomes this weight that's on, uh, on us. And I tried to run as many anger scenarios as I could from petty things like clicking the pen. You owe me. My nerves are on. They're on with your clicking. You owe me more nerves. Like there's everything from the petty stuff to like the serious stuff. You run it through that, that like filter of this debt to debt relationship. And it's like this you owe me thing. And it causes us to have anger. And if this is true, this, this thing emerges that an angry person at, its, at their core is a hurt person, at least in their mind. You hurt me. You owe me. 
And so that's why anger is, you know, if you've ever had a dog that, you know, got a splinter in its foot or stepped on something, and they're like tender, and they, they might like bark at you or try to bite you, and they don't even understand why. They're, they're a hurt creature, and so it's hard to get in and help them. And that's why angry people, I'm talking to you if this is a big issue for you. It's been a big issue for me in my life. One reason why you might lash out at people and you don't even understand why is because you're hurt. And deep down in your heart, you might have forgotten why. But anger has lodged itself in your heart, and it's an enemy of your heart because you believe you took my happiness or they wasted my time or someone undermined my intelligence. You robbed me of the best years of my life and I'm angry about it and I'm gonna carry it with me. I'm angry because I'm hurt and somebody owes me. Uh, There's a big problem though with this dynamic. We get angry, we say you owe me, but then uh, there is a, a contagious nature to this anger thing. You ever sat with a group of friends and someone was venting about something that they're angry about? And then this mob mentality develops like, yeah, you should be angry about that. And before long, we're picking up pitchforks and like burning sticks and walking, kill the beast, kill the beast. You like my Disney reference? Um, And so like there's this, we we create this mob mentality and anger is contagious and it, it can take over a culture. It can take over a mob It can take over a whole political party. It can take over an entire worldview. Because we begin to believe this thing, you owe me, I'm hurt, I'm angry. There's nothing, nothing that I want in repayment for that. I just want to be angry and let you have the debt. What do we do? It's tragic. It hurts. And the reason it's tragic, it's almost ironic, is because many times when we're angry, and we say, you owe me, they can't pay us back. It's impossible. If you owe me five bucks, you could reach in your pocket and give me five bucks. We're even. But if you didn't use your turn signal and you cut me off in traffic and you're gone, what do I want from you? Like, I don't have a time machine. I can't go back and make you use your turn signal. Maybe I want you to do better next time. But when true anger takes seat in our heart, more times than not, that person can never pay us back. So we hold a grudge, we remain bitter, and we allow that to weigh on our hearts and hurt our relationship with that person and anybody affiliated with them, and ultimately our connection with God. Anger is an enemy of our heart. So what do we do? What do we do for anger? I want to go ahead and give us the prescription so you can go ahead and put it in your little daily pill capsules, you know, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. This is your one for anger. You can take it out of the box. You can take as many as you need every day. You don't have to call me back for a refill. You can keep on doing it all you want to. This is today's prescription. The prescription, the Bible's remedy for anger is forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's our word. Forgiveness. Let's look at the Bible for some of God's most important truth. We do that every week. And and what I want to do is I want to unpack a passage of Scripture by a man who I believe in his life had lots of anger and met Jesus, and it changed everything for him. And from that, he was able to write this beautiful letter to uh, a group of people in Ephesus. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today in chapter 4. It's written by the Apostle Paul. If you know his story, you know that Paul was a persecutor of the church. Uh, He was a Jewish zealot. Today, uh, if he was on CNN, we'd call him a religious radical terrorist. He was going door to door. He was hunting down people who claimed Christianity, and he was making them renounce their faith. And many of them, if they didn't, he would have them executed. This is a really, really bad situation. This is a person I can't imagine that didn't have anger in his life because this is the kind of life that he lived. He was constantly around uh, this pious sense of, I'm right, you're wrong, uh, you owe me, I'm angry, 
you deserve to die. Paul meets Jesus. It changes everything about who Paul is. Everything. He becomes the greatest Christian missionary to ever live, establishes churches all around the Mediterranean Sea, writes the majority of our New Testament of our Bible, and we can learn a lot from him today. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 31, and we're going to read several verses here, but we're going to read it in pieces so we can kind of uh, stack up the blocks of this anger equation. So let's just start out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul writes to the Ephesians, also to us. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And let's just leave that up there for just a minute because this first phrase, get rid of, is something we're not very good at, especially when it comes to anger. And that's our goal. We want to clear our hearts so we can give our whole heart to God. That's the goal. What does it mean to get rid of? Uh, I want to give you an example. All right, so um, over the past couple of months, I've had this uh, mouse problem in my, in my storage shed in the backyard. We got like a 15 by 15 storage shed. It was built by termites back in the 1920s. I don't know. It's like a, it's a terrible place, but it's where we, we call it home for our tools. And uh, so we're out there and, and I've worked for, for years to, to clean out the termites and the roaches, but the rats seem to be the smartest critters in the neighborhood. And the mice, I mean, we've had rats and mice and recently it's been mice. And so I was like, I would sometimes walk into my shed after a strong rain and I would smell like this wet animal smell and I would yell at the mice. I'm like, get out of here. What are you doing here? Like, I'm, if my neighbor saw me, like, what's wrong with that guy? I would stomp my feet. I would like beat on the rafters trying to get him to run out and scurry, have my daughter's BB gun, ineffective. Um, I tried everything and I'm like, we're talking about get rid of. Okay, so I said, okay, we got to get rid of these mice because we started noticing, uh, you know, mice, they poop on everything, they pee on everything, they started to chew up some of like our, our stuff and boxes. We're like, this is not okay. We got to get rid of them. One mouse is too many mice because one multiplies into a thousand and we've got to get rid of the mice. So this is our solution. We went one day last week and I took everything out of my shed. Everything. It's a 15 by 15 shed. If you've ever had a storage unit, you know that we put too much stuff in our storage areas. Took it all out into the yard, every bit of it. And uh, I began the, the shelves that are built out of two by fours. I'm disassembling them. I want to get to the, to the studs. I want to find where these mice are getting in. I go to Lowe's. I buy a couple cans. I bought four cans. I probably needed one. I bought four cans of the spray uh, expanding foam insulation. And I'm just like... <laughs> Like every single crack, nook, and cranny in the whole shed, every hole. I'm filling in stuff that there's no way a mouse could get through it, but I'm just like filling in the whole gap between the studs. Like they're not getting it. You look at my shed, you walk around and be like, oh, wow, this is an insulated building. Like we're, we're it's hot in here. Like I'm trying to, um, I go, in, I, I, then, then uh, my wife did a lot of this, but we come in, we, we clean every surface. We wipe down every tote and bin that was in the thing. I threw away trash that I thought mice might want. While I'm cleaning out, I find it, the mother load, the family of mice that have moved in to the back of my guitar amp. Yeah. It's one I don't use very often. It's got two 12s in it for you musicians. It's got a big open. It's a tube amp thing, weighs a million pounds, and I never move it because it hurts. And so these guys had moved in. They had dragged our Christmas decorations into the back of that thing. And they had made a little condo in there. So I slid it out, and they just scurry. Now, I'm not, like, squeamish. I didn't scream. I didn't anything. I tried to stomp their heads in. I missed. Sorry if you care. Um, but, like, I missed. So they're safe. They're fine. <sighs> Get rid of. After every surface was clean, after everything was put back in the shed every day for almost two weeks now, I've gone out at least twice a day. I'm like, hey, Miles. Mouse, trying to make him scurry. I'm a crazy person. 
We've got to get rid of it. We have to get rid of every semblance of it. And Paul tells us about our anger. Get rid of. And he uses a three-letter word here. This is a, this is a cuss word in this scenario. A-L-L. All bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander. In case you missed it, he added like an extra thing, along with every form of malice, which, by the way, was not a word we use much. The word malice means the intention to do evil or ill will. Get rid of all of it. Throw it out. Clean the house. Put it in the yard. Scrub the surfaces. Spray the foam. Whatever you got to do, we got to get rid of it because it will sneak into our hearts and it will ruin us. When I look at what Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago, and I think we have this tendency sometimes when we look at the Bible, we're like, dude, that was, he wrote that a long time ago. He doesn't know what we're dealing with. We got goons with barrels full of Gen X just pulling it into the river. Like, they're so angry at these people. That's how they're doing us. And we're so angry. You don't know what we're dealing with. Do you know what's happening on the news? We got people doing this and that. Do you know what Paul's, you don't understand our life. Don't tell me to get rid of all anger. I got real stuff to be angry about. Now, this dude, Paul, I want to tell you, he wrote this letter from a prison cell. He was there having been falsely accused of a charge after he had gone around trying to tell people about the love of God and several cities run him out by an angry mob. One city threw stones at him and left him for dead. The Bible says he was dead. There's a question, was there a miracle there? I'll let you wrestle with that. It's a fun story. He understood some things he should be angry about. But he also understands understands the power of anger in our heart to hurt us to ruin our relationship with people and God. So he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander. So let's just keep going to verse 32. Uh, Along with every form of malice, verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. We're going to pause there. We're going to finish the verse in just a second. It seems that forgiveness is the means by which we can eradicate anger. Be kind be compassionate, forgive each other. Uh, let's keep reading it. Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. If you're in the Bible right now or on your phone right now, you have a highlighter on your app or you've got a pencil, I want you to write in your Bible. I used to say this to my youth ministry students all the time. Uh, a Bible hasn't been used till it's been written in. <laughs> it needs to be written in. You need to be taking notes. You need to be growing from this thing. I want you to circle or underline or highlight this phrase, just as, just as in Christ. God forgave you. In his book, Enemy of the Heart, Andy Stanley writes this. He says, that phrase, just as, is the key to allowing God to rid our hearts of bitterness and resentment that have the potential to reach their destructive tentacles into every important relationship we have. Just as redefines and upgrades the meaning of forgiveness. Just as, in Christ, God forgave you. See, in our human minds, this kind of forgiveness doesn't make sense because why would I forgive you? You owe me. You owe me five bucks. The debt's not forgiven until you give me five bucks. And I'm angry at you and it's not forgiven until you can pay me back somehow. But the reason that it takes this forgiveness thing to a next level is this, and you know this, if you've ever been forgiven for something in your life, if you've ever been forgiven, this should really hit home for you. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you owed them. You, had, you knew they had every right to be angry because you knew you couldn't pay them back. But they forgave you. If you've ever been forgiven, you know that you have received a gift, 
a true gift because this is the key. You know you didn't deserve the forgiveness. Paul was someone who had done so much wrong. He'd caused so many people pain and, and he'd done it out of anger many times. Some of it out of a misplaced sense of duty and religion. I think some of it he might have just enjoyed. There's a time where he talks about he's got this thorn in his flesh that he can't get rid of. He prayed for it to go away. And I wonder if it's this, he didn't feel forgiven for all the bad stuff he had done before. He had been essentially a murderer. That's, it's got to be a heavy weight. It's always a debate over what he's, what he's upset about there. But it was this reality that must have inspired Paul to write this from Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8. He said, this is Paul talking about God. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Read, forgiven, just as in Christ, God forgave us. Verse nine, so it's still in Romans eight. Since we have now been justified by his blood, talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What's another word for wrath? Anger. God had every right to be angry at us Scripture calls it his wrath. It's a real thing. There is punishment for that. There is judgment for that. Just as in Christ, God forgave us. Verse 10, for if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And there's a lot of teaching there about Jesus rising from the dead. It's amazing. But the point here is this. God had every right to be angry at us, and he still has a right to be angry at us for living a life opposed to him and opposed to the way he'd created us to live. Paul uses the word wrath, which is a much heavier word than anger. But one option for God's wrath to be satisfied, one option for God's wrath to be satisfied is punishment, you know, judgment. I'm talking about heaven versus hell. It's that big final judgment thing that's kind of uncertain and You can read the Bible all you want to, but all you know is at the end, there's some sort of reckoning. And one way for God's wrath to be satisfied is through punishment, death. But God loves us. He doesn't want that for any of us. The other option for God's wrath to be satisfied, crazy enough, is forgiveness. I will forgive you. If we turn our hearts to Jesus, if we dedicate our lives to him, if we're obedient to his calling, not perfect, but relying on his grace, if we turn our hearts to him and allow these enemies of our hearts to be weeded out by his Holy Spirit in our life, we can start to find healing in that. And even more importantly, God's wrath is satisfied through forgiveness. So when Paul comes to us and says, listen, you need to get rid of every type of anger, bitterness, rage, just ask. In Christ, God forgave us. You've heard this phrase, forgiven people, forgive people. I'll say it again, let you think about it if you've never heard it before. Forgiven people, that's a category of people. You know one thing they do? They forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Why? Because they understand what it means to have that debt forgiven. You owe me. Yeah, I know. But I forgive you. Wow. Many of us, most of us in this room, we call ourselves Christians. We want to live a life that's dedicated to Jesus. We would all readily admit that we don't get it perfect, but we stand in his grace and we're like, thank you, God, for grace. But I want to tell you, this is the path of a Christ follower. You're a forgiven person, and just as in Christ God forgave us, we got to forgive other people. Now, I want you to understand, some of the things we're angry about are things that are legitimate. Someone really hurt you. 
Maybe you were a child that someone took your innocence. Maybe you've been severely wronged by a criminal or a hateful person with malice in their heart. Consequences are a real thing. There needs to be judgment. There needs to be whatever retribution needs to happen. But me being angry about it doesn't change any of that. Forgiven people forgive people. And we've got to be able to move forward. Back to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Um, anger gets us nowhere. I, I love reading this quote by uh, Stephen Arterburn, he's a nationally respected uh, counselor and an author. And I've read this quote to our church family several times when we talk about forgiveness or anger. And I want to read it again because it just hits me uh, right square between the eyes. He kind of gives us a visual. He says, unresolved anger keeps us from moving forward because it locks us in a time machine, frozen on the exact moment when a particular offense occurred. Fear of further injury makes us unwilling to move to new levels of relationship. Not only with those who have hurt us, but also with anyone who represents a similar threat. Furthermore, if we allow unforgiveness to continue, we are likely to experience depression, bitterness, or both. Yet more important than any of these concerns is the most serious consideration of all, the spiritual consequence of unforgiveness, which is alienation from God. Anger locks us in a time machine. And many of the things we're angry about can never be paid back. In fact, the person that we wish would pay us back, they don't even care anymore. But we still hold on to it. And it stunts our growth spiritually and relationally and personally. And it's an enemy to our heart. But forgiveness puts the ball back in our court. Here's the problem with anger that we hold on to. And, and I talk to my kids all the time about this, this concept. Uh, we begin to develop, when we've been wronged, you owe me, we develop a victim mentality. I'm a victim. And you are. Someone did something to you, whether it's clicking the pen or cutting you off in traffic or you know, still in the best years of your life. You're a victim in some way, and it's true. But when we adopt the victim mentality, we give control away. The person who did us wrong now has control. Forevermore, they will control that. That's the victim mentality. But when we decide to give forgiveness, forgiveness, you know what we do? We take the control panel back. We say, okay, you did this to me, it's right. But you know what I'm going to do by my control? I'm not going to let it hold me back anymore. I'm going to move forward. Yes, you might need to see a therapist. You might need to get a friend to talk through it. You might have flashbacks and anxiety attacks because of things that happened in your past. Those things may still be the direct consequence, but guess who's in control now? Not the anger and not the, not the, the, the offense you get to pull control back into your life. And if that forgiveness comes from God, because on some of these offenses, that's the only place it's going to be able to come from. Your heart being changed by God, and you're going, okay, because God loves me, I'm just going to let this go and forgive you. Not only do you have control, but you've given God control. And you say, listen, every time this comes creeps back into my life, I'm just going to have to let it go. I'm going to have to let it go. I'm going to have to let it go. And it might be something you have to do every day. And thanks to Jesus, we've been given the chance to be forgiven a greater debt than we've ever been offended with. He gives us the chance to have our sins forgiven, have the wrath of God taken away from us. And more importantly, that verse from Romans said that how much more will we be able to have life in him? It's not that our life is defined by this mess we've been forgiven for. Our life becomes defined by the hope and the awesome life that God puts in front of us. And the chance that we get to share that light with other people. 
And forgiveness uh, comes in and, and like one of those, those claw games at the arcade, and you pay like, a, like $300 so you can get the teddy bear, and then you still drop it before it gets to the little chute, right? But this thing comes into our heart, and it pulls the anger out, sometimes in phases. It's layered on. I get it. It takes time. But eventually it clears that space, and guess what God fills it with? His love, his ability to come into you and, and, and fill you with purpose, and your ability, praise God, to move on. As we wrap up, I want to give us some super practical things that you can do today. Um, this is not just a um, motivational speech, you know, like, okay, you too can overcome you know, anger. It's coming directly from Scripture. And I've got like four kind of steps that you can use as you kind of counsel yourself. or Maybe you've got a friend that you work with. Before, before we get to these four like steps, they're not, you know, the perfect solution to every anger situation. But I think they're very, very good uh, Bible-driven um, solutions to this anger situation. I want you to first go back to the first question I asked. What really makes you angry? Who is someone who's done you wrong? What is an offense that happened or a situation that brought you down and it wasn't your fault, maybe partly your fault, I don't know, but it's made you angry and you've been holding on to it and it's tucked away as an enemy of your heart? What is that situation? For this to work, you have to know what that is. What's funny is a lot of us, it's just like, I know exactly what it is. Or it's like a string of things. Let's consider doing this. Step one, identify who you're angry with or what you're angry about. This, this funny thing happens with us. <laughs> we... Uh, sometimes don't even know why we're angry. If you are married, you've probably been in a fight that three days later, you're like, what was it we were fighting about? I don't even remember. But we hold on to the emotion, not the facts. So first identifying, this is huge. I know it's like, oh, duh, of course. No, no, really, you need to remember. And if you don't even remember why you're angry, uh, you could be done. You could be done, step one. <laughs> really. You could. It's, it's done. Move on to the next anger thing you need to deal with. But maybe you need to know. Maybe it's a person's name. Maybe it's a situation. Identify who you're angry with. Second thing, determine what they owe you. This is important. You cut me off in traffic. You owe me what? Okay, you owe me another chance to drive behind you so that you can then use your signal again. Maybe you owe me that. This is a step that most people miss. You know what the person did, but you never translated it into what you believe they took from you. And knowing that uh, helps you know what you need to forgive them for or help you realize how foolish it is for you to be holding this against them all this time. So it goes both ways. It might be totally legitimate and they really owe you something. You might need to talk to them about that. I just don't need to make you aware of it. But first is identify. Identify the person. Determine what they owe you. Now, that second step is going to be multi-layered for whatever situation we're dealing with. Each one of us is going to have to go into that. I want us to... Start from a place understanding how big the debt was that mankind owes God and the length to which he was to go to to forgive us and how many times those of us who live uh, in the grace of Jesus still sin against him and he's still willing to offer forgiveness beyond that because when we start to realize that just as in Christ God forgave us, we start to realize that when we figure out what the debt they owe us is, we we start to understand it can be dealt with. It can be manageable. Third thing. Cancel the debt. Cancel 
the debt. Years ago, my wife and I first got married. Uh, craziest thing happened. I don't remember the details. I think a pipe broke under our house. We lived in this, this house that was built like in the 1850s or something. It was an old Victorian house that had been turned into this, the, the most beautiful four slum apartments you've ever seen. And you could feel the wind blowing through the walls. And it was so crazy things happened. And, and at one point, uh, there was a pipe that burst under the house and this huge basement underneath. No one went in this basement, just filled with water. And it was like Olympic side swimming pool water. And so it's just, it just rushing out, rushing out. I guess we still had water pressure in the house. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't even know it happened. We get our water bill. It's like, I don't know, thousands of dollars. We were like married for like six months. I'm making like $15 a week. And um, I'm like, we ain't paying this. It's like not going to happen. They're just going to have to take everything we own, put us in jail. We're not paying this. And, and, we, and we, as you know, not knowing how these kind of things work, we're young. We're newly married. We call the, the water company. We're like, hey, and, you know, uh, we can't pay this. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm pretty sure we didn't use that much water. They came out. They realized it was uh, something on their end. It was a leak. It was a problem. They wiped the debt clean. If you've ever been forgiven, you know you've been given a gift. And when we get the opportunity to give someone the gift of forgiveness, and I want to prepare you for this. You know it. You're smart. But I want to prepare you for this. They may not care. They may not care that you've forgiven that you've canceled the debt. But once you determine what they owe you and you decide, you know what, I'm gonna let that go. You can move on. You might need to talk to them about it. You might need to go to them. I encourage you to do this. Listen, I, I, I need you to know that I've been holding this against you for 10 years. For good or for bad, I don't know. But I want you to know that I'm, I'm gonna let it go. Every day I'm gonna have to return to it and try to let it go more and more. Fourth thing, dismiss the case. Now, we have a hard time doing this. God never says we have to forgive and forget. If someone tells you, the Bible says you've got to forgive and forget, it, that's like not possible. Um, but it's a good goal <laughs> to dismiss the case. Um, there may be people in your life that you can't move forward with. The, the damage they've done is just too bad, and you just, it's not safe for you to be with them, or you just can't relationally move forward with them. Maybe you can, though. Maybe you can make attempts to, to mend it. It'll be different. But whatever the case, if you keep that folder in your, in your little Rolodex of things that have been done wrong to you, you have not dismissed the case. You're going to keep pulling it out, pulling it out, and pulling it out. To the best of your ability, dismiss the case. So identify who you're angry with. Determine what they owe you. Do your best to cancel the debt and then dismiss the case and move forward. God has so much more for you than to dwell on something that happened in the past. And if it's something fresh that you're going through right now, my experience is the sooner you can move through these steps and move past, the less it will hurt you, damage your heart, become an enemy to your heart, and the less it will be able to take root in your heart and take control. When old feelings come up, come up uh, it will fire up again. It will make us angry again. You know that. We can try to ignore it or we can face it. And that often is the best way to deal with the enemies of our heart. Face them head on. Last week it was bring it out in the open, confess it. This week is look at it head on and say, I'm not going to let you control me anymore. How does this relate to Jesus? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let's not let anger have control anymore. Let's be a people who moves from these seats into this community and says, I'm just going to love with the love of God to the best of my ability. I'm going to shine light in dark places and I'm going to help these enemies of my heart be diluted until they are eventually eradicated.
Let's pray. God, I love you. So many times in my life, I have held grudges. I find myself bitter. Um, even super legitimate things that just, I feel like, need justice. Um, would help my response not be rage and bitterness, but be dealing with the facts and do what I can to make the debt right and to do what I can to be a peacemaker in this scenario. Ultimately, Lord, that those things don't control me, but that we can give control back to you. Thank you that in Christ we've been given forgiveness. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.